Welcome to Random Thoughts Podcast, a show that discusses a variety of topics. I'm your host, David Polikoff. Welcome to my inaugural show, Random Thoughts Podcast. This particular show, or this entire podcast, uh, from here forward, is going to be about any topic that comes to my mind, things that I'm interested in, and things that I think that the general public might be interested in. So what I'll end up doing is uh, I'll have guests from time to time, and I haven't decided if this is going to be a, a weekly or a bi-weekly or a monthly uh, podcast, but I'll have subject matter experts uh, in a field that interests me and things that I think that interest the general public, and uh, we'll go forward. Um my name is David Polikoff, and I'm a firefighter uh, in Maryland, and a lot of the podcasts that I've done in the past have to do with fire and rescue. This is going to branch out, like I said, into a variety of topics. So today's topic, we're going to talk about uh, hospice and palliative care, and I have a hospice nurse with me today, who also happens to be my wife, uh, Cindy Polikoff, and uh, there's no better person that I would want to interview about hospice and palliative care and all the uh, facets that go around that. So without uh, any further delay, Cindy, welcome to the inaugural podcast of Random Thoughts. Thank you very much. So we're just going to kind of dig right into this, and I have a bunch of bulleted points of of questions that that I think that uh, the public may want to know and and kind of maybe break the misconception of what uh, hospice is and what palliative care is, because from what I understand when you tell me things that I know that they're two different things, but um, it means... uh, and, and what it means for the family and for the patients and for yourself as well, what you get out of it. So let's just start with, let's talk about what is palliative care versus hospice care. So palliative care is a care plan that is available to any patient and their family who has been diagnosed with a chronic condition or chronic disease. So it can be anything from... Um, congestive heart failure, cancer, um, COPD, anything along those lines that is going to be a chronic illness that is going to affect the patient's life. Palliative care can come in and they help coordinate all of the patient's services. And there's a lot of things that are available that people don't realize. You can have palliative care nurse that can visit the patient in the home. You'll have um, one provider that will manage all the different medications so that you're not going to this doctor for this medicine and this doctor for this medicine. It's all very centralized and controlled, and it makes for a much smoother transition from very aggressive medical management to more of a sustained medical management. With hospice, we're kind of the end of the palliative spectrum. So they bring hospice in, when the doctors have said that there's nothing more they can do. And from what I've experienced and what I've seen, there are no harder words to hear in your life than there is nothing more we can do. So hospice comes in for the end of life. And a lot of people have the conception that hospice is for the last days or maybe the last weeks of a person's life when actually hospice can support somebody for at the minimum six months. We come in and again it's a very centralized controlled plan of care where one doctor is taking care of 
everything that's involved with a patient. And we can see a patient in a home, in a facility, in a, a, a central inpatient unit. And there's a lot of services that are involved. But hospice switches from prolonging life and working towards a cure to getting the quality of life, getting the dignity, getting pain control, and making the, the most of the time that the patient has. And, and I know you have talked about the dignity of the patient and, and how important that is, and we'll talk about that here in, in a few. Um, you had talked about that uh, in, in hospice care, there's a lot of misconception and, and a lot of families think that when they hear hospice care, that means that we're giving up. Um, and I know that you have told me that it's not about giving up and it's about taking control of the pain and the medications and things like that. Um, I know that you struggle as a nurse sometimes. The doctors are always looking for cures and so are, are the patients and so are the family members. And I know a lot of times is as hard as it is, you are that bearer of truth where the family is looking for answers and you give them answers. Sometimes it's not the answers they want to hear. So talk a little bit about when somebody enters hospice, um, how it affects or what you do for the patient and how you take care of that patient so they maintain that dignity. You're very right. Um, we we have a lot of difficulty with doctors being able to accept that they have to tell a patient there's nothing more we can do. Um, doctors most of the time do not get classes on death and dying in medical school, even though all of us are going to die. We, all of us, none of us get out of this alive. And we do get to the point somewhere in our life where it's time to accept that we are at the end of life. So when hospice comes in, we're having patients hear a lot of difficult news and patients and family make a lot of very difficult decisions. We support the patient and the family from the very beginning with being honest with them about what their options are. Um, I was in the past a cardiac nurse and an ICU nurse, so I'm, I do my best to be very honest with the patients, very blunt, and say, here's your options, here's the pros and cons of each, and why we're the point they are at this point, why hospice is going to be the best option and why it's going to be the most supportive. Once a patient enters hospice, we focus on many things. We don't just worry about their symptoms. We worry about, we worry about them medically, we worry about their psychosocial, we work about um, their emotional, their spiritual. It becomes this very encompassing, holistic view of how can we make the most out of this patient's time. So not only do we look at a lot of their symptoms with most life-limiting diseases, there's pain, there can be trouble breathing, restlessness, nausea, vomiting, and once a patient's in hospice, we have a lot more medications at our disposal that we can use to make a patient comfortable. I do face a lot of times patients and families' version or thoughts of hospice that we actually hasten someone's life or that we will remove things so that a patient will die faster. 
And I can tell you, with all the different versions of nurses that I've worked with, everything from emergency to ICU to cardiac to med surge, even some psych nurses, hospice nurses value life the most out of any of the nurses I've ever worked with because we very much understand that life is short and we need to make the most of what we've got. Hospice is not about shortening life or hastening anything. We walk that very fine line of controlling a patient's symptoms so they're comfortable, but so they can be awake enough or aware enough so that they can enjoy their family, take care of whatever they need to take care of in their lives, and have a quality of life and have a peace at the end of their life. And I, I know, you know, hearing some of the stories that you tell, and, I, and obviously you don't violate HIPAA when you tell me stories. Um, that's a whole nother show. We'll talk about HIPAA. But um, I know that you have told me that you've had patients that have come, that have entered the hospice program. They've come to your place of work at, at the Dove House and they are unconscious, they're in pain, they're having trouble breathing. Um, it's horrifying for the family members to see. And you tell me how once they've entered in hospice, you have the, the, uh, the leeway of being able to, or the, the doctors prescribe medications that actually um, take a lot of that pain and discomfort away. And, and what does that do for the patient and how does that help the family? What, what, what do they see once they enter hospice and you're actually allowed to get on some type of a regimen to help these patients? Well, um, both in our inpatient unit, which is a level of hospice care that is kind of like the ICU of hospice. So you come into um, an inpatient unit. It's usually either a freestanding building or a wing on a hospital. That's for the patients who are having symptoms that cannot be controlled elsewhere, either hospice home or hospice at a facility. When they come in, they are in intractable pain, terrible shortness of breath, intractable nausea, vomiting, terminal restlessness. And it's very difficult and life-changing for a family to see these things. Um, when I was an ICU nurse, I, I would watch families watch their family member go through being coded and go through CPR in an entire code blue. And it is traumatic, not just for the patient, it's for the family as well. So we work very quickly and very hard to get a patient to a good place. Um, we work towards what we consider a good death, where there's dignity, there is pain control, and a person is at peace. Um, and like you said, we have a, a lot more things at our disposal that we can use. It's not just medications, but it's spiritual support, um, financial support. We have our social workers, all these things that are in place. There are many, many studies showing how patients and families, after a visit to the ICU, actually have a version of PTSD, especially families who have lost a, a patient after being coded several times and, and they die in the intensive care unit. And, you know, you do deal with patients afterwards who have ICU psychosis, or if the patient has passed, the, the family member actually does have versions of a PTSD where now they hate hospitals and they hate medicine. And that's not the way to go. It's not the way to die. 
Um, now, have you, and I know the answer to this, but I think that the people out there w- would like to hear about this. Have you ever had patients uh, that have entered hospice that have come to you that are in such excruciating pain or unconscious or horrible breathing that they're not able to communicate with their loved ones and have that quality time towards the end of life where you've actually been able to get them on a, uh, a path where you can make them comfortable and they actually are able to open their eyes and spend time with their family members. It does happen. Um, and, and that's why I wish doctors would bring palliative and bring hospice into a patient's life much sooner. Because if we come in, you know, as soon as a doctor realizes that, you know, that this is not fixable, we're, we're going downhill quickly. If we can come in sooner, we can manage a patient's pain, a patient's symptoms so much sooner and there are multiple studies now through Hopkins, University of Maryland, over in England that actually show once patients enter hospice, they will live longer than a patient with the same issues without hospice. Because imagine if you're in terrible pain, you're not going to be able to get up, move around. You're not going to want to eat. You're not going to want to participate in life. And you're going to decompensate much faster. If you're having shortness of breath, you're just going to sit there and panic eating and moving and living are not going to be your top priorities. It's going to be, I can't breathe. So a lot of times we work to get those symptoms under control and they can now eat or spend time with their family or get up and move around and be able to do the things they wanted to do. Um, I have had patients come in into our inpatient unit writhing in pain and that's all they can think about or struggling to breathe and it's a panic situation we get that under control and suddenly they're more awake they're more alert and they can have some time with their family and make the most of the time that they've got um we we do our best to walk that fine line of controlling symptoms without completely sedating a patient that being said there are times when a patient's level of pain is just so high that our only options are sedating the patient through the pain so that they can pass peacefully. And that's usually at the very end. And we have a very long talk with the patient or with the families about how this might be an end point so that they're prepared and they know and you know make the time that you've got now. I've had several patients where I've sat with them and said, you have a very limited time. Make the most of the time that you've got. Sit now and visit with your family. This is your chance to reconnect or work out past hurts. Um, Sit and write letters to your family. If they have children, I tell them, go ahead and write their 16th birthday cards or write them a letter of what you would want to say to them on their wedding day. Use that time. A lot of people just are going through their daily life, and they drop dead. Heart attack, car accident, something like that, and they don't have that chance to complete, to say goodbye, to reconnect, to work out past hurts. Hospice gives you that chance and make what we consider a good death. 
So it's it's obviously you do a lot for the patients and and you do your best to make them uh, comfortable and to give them the time and the dignity with their family members. Let's talk about the family because I know that your um, work at the Dove House and hospice in general offers a lot of things for family members. Um, What are some of the things that hospice offers families uh, drilling down into what you offer the families as a hospice nurse and what the government offers the families um, through uh, insurance and then what the Dove House offers uh, the families when it comes to support and things like that because I know there's a lot of things out there and that's a lot of stuff to talk about but just you know pick it apart however you want. So there are quite a few services available and it's pretty standard throughout the country about what a hospice organization will offer. We do have some hospices that are nonprofit, we have some that are for profit, but it is it is pretty standard the services that we offer. So the patient and their immediate family are offered. Of course, you get your own nurse and your own aide. So if a patient is being taken care of at home or at a facility, um, they will get a, a, a current a nurse of their very own, an aide of their very own. And for continuity of care, we try to make sure it's the same nurse and the same aide every time. Um, but then you also get a social worker of your very own to help with um, any financials, any paperwork, working through advanced directives, um, and just emotional support. Most hospices also offer spiritual support. Um, We consider them chaplains, but they do not push one religion versus another. They meet you wherever you are. And even if you're not with an organized religion, it is still nice to have spiritual support and, you know, that those questions answered and the completion of, you know, how you're faring spiritually. Most hospices also offer volunteers, and I can tell you very much with my hospice, both our inpatient unit and out in the field for our home hospice and our facility hospice patients, we could not do what we do without our volunteers. They are amazing people. Um, They can come and just visit with patients. They can read to them. Some of our volunteers sing. They will sit with a patient while their family member caregiver can have a break and go take a nap or run to the grocery store. Our our volunteers are just exceptional. Our hospice, I'm not sure if this goes through with a lot of the other hospices, but our hospice, since we are nonprofit, we also do a great deal of fundraising so that we can offer two other services for free to our hospice patients. One is bereavement. So after a patient passes, their immediate family member will also receive our bereavement services for 13 months after the patient passes. And our bereavement services are everything from helping you get copies of death certificates, helping you with financials, any paperwork. We even have all the network and all the list of everybody you're going to need to contact as far as getting a will and insurance and all those things, they are there to support you. But also just somebody to talk to. Um, If you're very sad, if you're um, having trouble dealing with grief, our bereavement people are just 
amazing at supporting you through those difficulties. And then one thing that is very special to our hospice, we offer child life services. So we have a lady who is probably one of my favorite people on the planet who will meet with any children involved with any patient who are 18 and under. She can talk with the children's parents to help the parents prepare the children for what is coming as far as their loved one's journey and their passing. But they will also meet directly with the children and give them grief support and talk with them. And it's an amazing amount of support. And our hospice actually has once a year a camp where the children of someone who has passed in our services, they can go to the camp. It's a weekend long camp and they talk about um, what they've been through, resolution of their feelings. Um, of course, you never get over grief. I hate that phrase of, you know, you need to get over it, but help them along their journey, you know, and how this memory, how that patient is going to be a permanent part of their life. And it's a beautiful, supportive program that we do, and that's completely for free. Um, my experience has only been with a nonprofit hospice. Um, I do know there are some for-profit hospices out there. I'm not exactly sure what they offer versus what they, you know, if they have bereavement, child life services, things like that. But they, the basic standard is social work, spiritual, and volunteer. Um, so that is all like support for the patient and the family. As far as what, how hospice can be paid for. So for most of our patients, since they tend to be older, we use our Medicare hospice benefit. The Medicare hospice benefit goes through Medicare, so the patients switch from their regular Medicare to the Medicare hospice benefit. That benefit covers all the services I mentioned, nurses, aides, social work, volunteers, child life services, all that is covered. It also covers any medications that are related to their terminal illness or related to their comfort. Um, any equipment they may need, so oxygen, hospital bed, bedside commode, all those things, if it's in the home or in a facility, Medicare will cover all those things. Um, it will cover them whether they're in the home or in a facility. Um, the only thing the Medicare hospice benefit will not cover is if a patient's in a facility like a nursing home or assisted living, Medicare will not cover room and board. That's still unfortunately falls on the family. And then of course you can go through Medicaid or other things. If a patient is younger than 65, most insurances, Blue Cross, Blue Shield, things like that, tend to follow the Medicare hospice benefit model to where they'll cover most of the same things. There might be a copay in the beginning, but they will also cover the services, the medications, the equipment. Um, so that, that's most of like the insurances and, and the Medicare, how things are covered. I can say with our nonprofit hospice and probably quite a few others, we, we run on donations um, and we have multiple fundraisers. All of those fundraisers go towards our operations and we will have patients that come in who will not qualify for Medicare, who do not have insurance 
and we will make sure we do everything possible. We will network, we'll use the VA, we'll use churches in the area to make sure that even though someone might not have insurance coverage, they still get the hospice care that they deserve. And that's uh, one of the things when you when you had taken this job, you, you had told me that you, you know, you don't turn anybody away and you know somebody that's truly in need you'll you'll find a way and you guys over there are very creative and and I know that it is a nonprofit you're not it's not a money making business and uh it gets really difficult, and I know that the, the, like with any federal government uh, bureaucracy, the paperwork that you have to follow in order to get paid is, is uh, sometimes can be excruciating. I know every I has to be dotted, every T crossed, or you don't get paid. So I know you do a lot of fundraisers, or hospice in general, at least at the Dove House does fundraisers, and uh, I have been able to attend some of those, and they're pretty top-notch stuff, and, and uh, but we won't really go into that, but I know they do have one coming up here very soon if you want to throw that out real quick you can give the date and uh, at least that'll be uh, if anybody listens they'll know yes so our our main fundraiser for carol hospice and the dove house the dove house is our inpatient unit carol hospice is the organization i work for and the majority of our patients are in the field home or facility but our biggest fundraiser we have every year it's called the taste of carol and it pulls in restaurants from all over Carroll County, and there's a few that sneak in from Howard, Baltimore, and Frederick County, the most amazing restaurants. And because these restaurants are so giving and wonderful, 100% of the money we raise through Taste of Carol goes towards our patients and their families. Um, It's a wonderful event. So um, you'll have all of these restaurants, and some of them will have appetizers, some have main course, some have desserts. There's, of course, drinks, there's music. You get to meet the people that work with Carol Hospice. A lot of, of course, the, the bigwigs as far as our board of directors and, and higher-ups in the, and we're associated with Carol Hospital and with LifeBridge, so some of the higher-ups within the hospitals um, and our county government, our Maryland government. And it's a wonderful evening of really good food and a lot of fun. We have silent auctions. Um, A lot of awards are given out for our hospice heroes, which um, the employees of Carroll Hospice vote for each other, which is a wonderful thing. And we, we pick people within each division of hospice who we feel are truly exemplary. And it is our biggest fundraiser. It will be April 29th this year and a desk it is at carroll hospital center on the far side you have the main entrance of the hospital it's on the other side at the cancer center and it is truly a good evening of fun this year is our 20th anniversary so the theme is um the roaring 20s a lot of people dress up last year was um kentucky derby theme and the women were wearing the big hats and the men were in the the cool outfits. So this year I'm looking really looking forward to seeing everybody dressed up in their 20s attire. And there's been a lot of hush-hush about a lot of special things going on this year since it is our 20th anniversary of Taste of Carol. So I invite everyone to please come out. Um, you can look it up online. You can just Google Taste of Carol 2019. I will put it out there and be blunt. Yes, the tickets are expensive, but like I said, 100% of that money comes to Carol Hospice and supporting our patients and their families. So we talk about, uh, you know, the fundraising, and it is a nonprofit organization. Do they have to attend Taste of Carol in order to give money? 
No, actually. <laughs> <laughs> you can give in many ways to Carol Hospice. Um, just randomly send in a check. If you've had a patient that has passed or somebody that you would like to honor or memorialize, we have bricks in our garden that you can buy. They are engraved with whatever you want it to say, and they are permanently part of our garden and our, our pathways. Um, you can um, give money in honor of somebody that you love or, or a memorial. And then our inpatient unit, like I said, we're nonprofit. So um, we are supported a little bit food-wise from Carroll Hospital. But when a patient is with us in our inpatient unit, we also feed the families so that if they do not want to leave the patient's bedside, they are not starving. We will put out a continental breakfast. We put out soup and sandwiches for lunch. We put out a casserole or a nice soup and bread and salad for dinner so that the family members, while they are with us, can have sustenance too and their snacks. All of that food is given to us by our volunteers and by donation. Um, we do have a website on, um, I mean, a page on Amazon with a wish list. So you can do Carol Hospice Amazon wish list and things will be shipped directly to us. And a lot of people will just show up on a day-to-day -day basis and bring us wonderful goodies. Um, shout out to Jeannie Bird Bakery. They're always bringing us wonderful snacks and treats for our patients and their families. And um, a lot of the other restaurants in the area will bring us things. It, it's Carol Hospice is an amazing community service, and our community supports us 100%. So, and, and yes, we're talking about Carroll Hospital and Carroll Hospice in Carroll County, Maryland, but for people that are listening to this from all over the country, and yes, I know that there are going to be people listening to this from all over the country, um, if you're interested in, in what your uh, community hospice um program does, then look them up. I'm sure they'd be more than willing to take your donations, but as is Carol Hospital's uh, Hospice is willing to take your donations as well. So let's talk a little bit about um, what you have done to become a hospice nurse. Now, I know, obviously, I know um, you started off, you know, it took you 30-some uh, years to figure out what you wanted to be before you grew <laughs> up and you became a nurse. You, you did a variety of different things, but you became a nurse and you're really good at it. And you started off in the cardiac unit and you moved to the ICU. <clears throat> and then you moved to, when we moved up this way, you went into the CCU and then you moved into uh, Carroll Hospice. Um, to be a hospice nurse. Now, is there any certifications that go with that? I mean, you already have your degree as a registered nurse. Was there any other certification that you had to do in order to be become a, a hospice nurse? Or you just say, hey, I'm a hospice nurse. <laughs> well, most of our, I, I probably 100% of our hospice nurses have had prior nursing experience because we really do need to pull from many disciplines as far as nursing goes to be able to take care of our patients. Um, the patients in the home, the patients in the facility, and in our inpatient unit. The nurses are the majority of their care. We're the ones that see them on a daily basis. We're the ones that make the recommendations to the doctors of, hey, we think they need this medicine. So you do need to have a good deal of nursing experience walking in. Um, on our inpatient unit, we have one nurse and one aide, and not only is that nurse the nurse for the patients, but we're also the charge nurse. We're in charge 
there's no one else there as far as you know who we can call and ask for help. So that's why it's good to have a good deal of nursing background before you walk into hospice. Um, our field nurses are well-trained and completely amazing as are our inpatient unit nurses. Our standard within Carroll Hospice, and I believe for the state of Maryland, is once you've been in hospice between two to four years, they expect you to become a certified hospice and palliative care nurse, which means you have a very in-depth exam that you need to take and pass. It's almost like taking your nursing boards all over again because it is very detailed and very specific to hospice. And it covers not only medications, disease processes, but all the other things that hospice nurses do, the emotional support, the spiritual support, social work, and all the fun that goes with the insurance parts of um, medical care. So I was certified about a year and a half after I entered hospice, and it is something that we have to renew every four years um, by either retaking the exam or keeping up with your continuing education. And I believe it's more than 100 continuing education credits that you have to do in hospice-type studies to be able to maintain your certification. So it is a very highly specialized field. A lot of people, when I first was leaving critical care and ICU to come to hospice, they said, oh, well, you know, they're, you're going to lose all your skills or the patients are just laying there dying. There's not a lot of skills you need, but it couldn't be farther from the truth. I have learned just as many skills on a different avenue than I did as an ICU nurse. And it's very highly specialized and it is a lot of work maintaining their comfort, maintaining their emotional comfort. And for every patient we have, we also have their entire family we need to care for. So it's a very busy, very specialized type of nursing. Um, and our, since our hospice is so very close also to the Pennsylvania line, we are now required to be um, licensed nurses in the state of Maryland licensed nurses in the state of Pennsylvania, which was also a lot of hoops to jump through and exams and things to pass. And we just got our licensure as a hospice to be able to treat patients across the line in Pennsylvania. So that was a big um, honor for us. So, and I know you were an ICU nurse, but the, the cool thing is, is you've bought some of your ICU skills into hospice because there have been times I know patients come in and need a specific skill or something done and I know you, they have asked or called you or said have you ever dealt with anything like this before so you got to put your ICU skills to know so you didn't lose your ICU <laughs> skills either you get to put some of that together and and uh, those those are just from some some of the things that I know that you've told me let's let's change gears a little bit <clears throat> let's talk about what are some of the things that you and your nurses struggle with um, in hospice? Not necessarily where you work, because you know we don't, we're not trying, trying to bash where you work, because where you work is, is a fantastic place. But just as in hospice in general, what are some of the things that you uh, and your nurses struggle with? Probably the first thing that pops to my mind would be the myths and misconceptions about hospice in general. Um, like I, I said before, I, I wish patients could come into hospice earlier 
to qualify to become a hospice patient, a doctor has to say that as long as things continue the way they're going with their disease process, they have a six-month prognosis. That being said, none of us have, you know, an expiration date stamped on our head. Um, if we get to the end of the six months and the patient is still with us, we meet again, we look at how they're doing. Um, are they continuing to decline? Do they still need our support? Yes. Then we recertify and we keep going through Medicare and most insurances. Most patients have unlimited benefit periods. Um, I have had some hospice patients last a year, two years. We actually just had a hospice patient who was with us for three years and one month who just passed. So we're not saying that you're in hospice, you're going to die immediately. We are there to support you. Um, I have also had patients who have graduated from hospice to where we were able to get their symptoms managed, take away a lot of the medications that were actually making them sicker, centralize their care, and they were able to improve enough that they didn't need us anymore. And that's always a wonderful feeling. And patients have actually graduated from hospice. And then if they need us again in the future, they can come back. So a hospice is not saying, you're with us, you're going to die immediately. All we are is a, an organization to help support you along whatever journey you're going along. Um, you know, a hospice is not there to shorten someone's life. We're not there to sedate somebody until they die. We're not, you know, we're not there to say, okay, you're dying, we're not going to treat you. Um, if you're a hospice patient and you have, say, cancer, and that's what you're dying from, if you develop a urinary tract infection, let's say, we can still give you antibiotics. You can still have treatment for things like that because that goes towards the patient's comfort. We have had patients have palliative chemotherapy or radiation because a tumor is pressing on their spine or pressing on an organ and causing them pain. Hospice is not all or none. We focus on whatever it is that's going to make you more comfortable and make your life better so that you can enjoy the time you've got. A lot of people think, oh, okay, I'm in hospice, so I'm going to get morphine, I'm going to die. That's not how it works. Um, I have had ALS patients who, even though they cannot swallow, cannot move, cannot do anything, they're still completely mentally intact. They still are feeling hunger. We can do tube feeding for them um, to support them because being hungry is not comfortable. We can do tube feedings. Um, so hospice is not black and white. It is very gray, and we will do whatever it takes to meet you wherever you are. So the hospice miss would be my number one thing, and I always consider myself when I see a patient and I can get them into hospice and get them under care, and I see their eyes light up and say, wow, all this is available to me and my family. This is amazing. I consider it changing people's minds about hospice, one patient, one family at a time. Um, probably the only other big complaints I would have would be, you know, as with anything in healthcare, staffing. Um, we need more nurses. And it's not that we can't hire them. We're, we're trying desperately, just like hospitals. 
but there's just not enough nurses available um, because nursing schools are very limited on how many nurses they can have come through because they're limited on their instructors. Just not enough nurses are being graduated every year to fill every possible position that's out there. I can say that I have watched our field nurses that see patients in home and in facilities work insane hours and work their heinies off to make sure that their patients are comfortable. It would be wonderful if we could just have more staff, more nurses, more aides. It's kind of the same thing that we're looking at in the fire department is was we're always looking for the staffing. Um, <clears throat> I know that uh, you know you you struggle with some doctors. There are some doctors out there that are so against hospice because I guess in their mind they feel that, that they're they're giving up. But I know that your job involves a lot of education, not only of the patient and the family, but you have educated, or should I say, schooled some doctors <laughs> um, of what needs to be done and and. Being a hospice nurse, what I know from what you have told me that is being a patient advocate and you are 100% in your patient's corner and if they need something, you will fight until they get it. And I know that you've had some stern talking to's and things like that about how you talk to people, but when it comes to your patients and the family, you make sure that they get what they need. And, and uh, you know, we don't need to throw any four instances out there, but but that I do know. I know that the, that the nurses that are in hospice are, or the hospice nurses are big advocates for, for their patients. So let's talk something a little bit about looking uh, in the hypothetical. If you could change something um, that has to do with hospice or with your job for the better, what would you like to see? And I know you'd like to see more staffing and you'd like to change the misconceptions, but what are some of the things that you'd like to see? Now, I know they're building out in your unit, so you're going to have even more beds, which means more patients, yay, <laughs> and you know another nurse. But if you could change something, what would you like to see changed in hospice? As hospice, as a, a general yeah, like, service? Yeah, like even if it's like the the... Bureaucracy of the government and the insurance or, or stuff like that. What would you like to see change, I, or or the forms that you have to fill out, or the computer work that you have to do, or, or all that stuff? Yeah, um, definitely a lot of the paper slash computer work would is very limiting. Medicare is very very particular on the qualifications for a patient to be considered a hospice patient. We have to jump through so many hoops and prove in so many ways that a patient is actually hospice appropriate. Um, it's a lot of, you know, we need recent lab work. We need all of their medical history. We need, you know, how have they declined in the last six months, weight loss. It's, it's a big picture we have to paint with each individual patient that we bring in. Um, it's even more so if we are bringing a patient into our inpatient unit, which, like I said, is the ICU level of care. It is the highest level of hospice care. It's 24-hour nurse aid medication care. Um, and I know currently um, we're hopefully going to be changing computer systems soon so that we have a little less documenting to do, but um, Medicare makes us jump through so many hoops that Right now, it's about 62 pages of documentation we have to do to prove a patient is inpatient level of hospice care. So if we could streamline our computer system a little um, and, and 
we do have a lot of documenting to do. I would rather spend more time with my patients and my family than in front of the computer. So that would be a, a big complaint of mine. Um, and that's all through healthcare. I know doctors are having trouble now with, you know, how much time they have to spend clicking on a computer, and it goes for the nurses and everyone in healthcare right now. Um, I'd also like to see our different um, certifying bodies. So we have the National Hospice and Palliative Care Organization. We have a lot of um, nationwide um, organizations that support and certify hospice and palliative care. I'd love to see them do a little more community education advertising, almost like a PR, so that we could get the word out that hospice is not what it used to be. Hospice is not what most people think it is. Hospice is an amazing support system for a family and a patient to get them through their journey and to make sure that the patient has a good death and so that the family is also supported in their grief and the time afterwards. I, I wish that we could you know, run commercials on TV. It's, um, it's amazing to me that, you know, so many things in healthcare have come so far, but hospice is still stuck back in the, you know, 1980s, 90s, when it was first hitting America and, and becoming something we could use. Um, and I, I do believe right now, it's a very controversial subject, but the right to die movement i believe a lot of that is building out of and budding from the fact that people have not been told that they do have an option that yes hospice can make sure that you have a good death and that you are not suffering and that you are not in this horrific pain so many people say i'm looking to the future and i'm going to have this terrible horrible painful, nasty, rotten death, so I want to die now. Hospice can help you through that and help your family through that. We can take care of the symptoms. We can take care of the grief. You know, it's a very, very rare case that I have seen where I would agree with, yes, somebody needs to go ahead and say, yeah, I'm, I'm checking out now. Because even with the most horrific pain, we can do what we consider palliative sedation. We can sedate you and you pass naturally the way that the human body is supposed to. You're not actually having to make that horrible, horrible decision to end your own life. That's a, that's a lot to bear on your shoulders and on your family's shoulders. And that's a huge controversy now with the, with the whole assisted suicide, and not to get too political in, in what our what my personal beliefs are is, is uh, you know is is not what we're going to talk about. But I I know where you stand. But I know hospice in itself is is an uh, an alternative to making that terrible decision where I know for a fact because we've had friends that, that and family not family members but friends and friends family members gone through hospice and it's been um, a comforting uh, experience um, it's sad but we know that they went peacefully and uh, and it was a lot 
of weight lifted off of the shoulders of the family members when they could see their loved one actually relaxed and comfortable. I know you've had family members saying this is the most relaxed that my mother or my father has been since this whole uh, disease started. And um, that's a credit to, to what you all do as hospice nurses. So we're going to wind this up and I want to end on a high note because, uh, you know, talking about hospice and everything, it can be kind of a downer, but I know that, uh, you know, what you do matters to you. So what are the rewards that you get out of being a hospice nurse and maybe some of your colleagues that you've talked to? What What is it that you see? I know as a firefighter and a police officer or the military, you know, we're serving our country or we are serving uh, our fellow citizens for people we've never met. You know, it's a calling. And I know being a hospice nurse is a calling. That I do know 100%. But what are the rewards that you get out of it? And and I know, and I'll be honest with you, and I told you when you decided that you wanted to be a hospice nurse, I was a little concerned because my whole conception or my, my belief of hospice was everybody that you take care of is going to die. You're never going to help and heal somebody. And you've proven me wrong tenfold over. You help everybody when you go to work. So without me answering the question, what <laughs> are the rewards that you and your hospice nurse uh, nurses get out of this? It's it's funny when I I meet new people um, and they say, well, you know, what do you do for a living? And I say, I'm a hospice nurse. I always get basically the same reactions of, ooh, that must be so sad or, oh, that must be so difficult or, oh, you must be a really special person. Um, I actually admitted a patient yesterday into hospice at a facility and his wife just kept shaking her head and saying, I don't know how you do this. You must be sad all the time. And actually, yeah, I've been sad when I've lost patients. I have cried with families. Absolutely. You do get attached. But I consider it a huge honor to be with a family and with a patient at such an important time and to be able to make their last journey as comfortable and as dignified and as peaceful as possible Every human deserves that. Every human deserves to be peaceful and to have their dignity from beginning to end of life. Um, I, I joke sometimes and tell people that I consider myself a birth coach. You have a birth coach coming into this world, um, and your family is all there, and everybody is with you and, and experiencing coming into this world. I believe it should be the same way going out. So I don't make the transition happen. I just make the transition as peaceful and as dignified as possible. Make sure your family is there. Make sure you've had all the resolutions and, and connections and, and everything that you need to have done so that when you go on to the next world, whatever it is you believe, um, that transition is as perfect as it can be. It, it's an honor to me to be with somebody a patient and a family and help them through a really difficult time and to make it much easier than it would be otherwise. I have seen families devastated when I am when I when I was with an ICU patient and we're coding them and breaking their ribs and shoving tubes down their throat and you know, they die this horrible death and the, the faces of the families and they are devastated and crying. Versus when I have a patient who suddenly is comfortable and can have some time with their family, and then they very gently 
and peacefully just slip away. And the families, I have not had a family yet, hasn't come up to me and said, thank you. That was wonderful. That was perfect. I appreciate everything you did for my loved one. To me, that is the highest honor. I, I take that very seriously. Um, to have a, a patient and a family thankful for my care. It, yeah, it's sad. It, you know, I, I feel for the family and I know they're grieving. But to have made that time as dignified and peaceful, pain-free as possible, it's a huge honor. I know uh, you, you always joke that you, when, whenever we would travel, you would tell me that, uh, you know, I can't take you anywhere without you, you know, knowing somebody in the fire department or whatever. And, and I'm finding that that's how it is now. You truly do serve the community that, that we live in. You, we run into people all the time that you, they're looking at you and you're looking at them and you kind of lean to me and said, I know I know that person. And then they come over and give you a hug and they, mm-hmm. they tell you that, you know, you were my nurse or you were one of the nurses for, for my loved one when they went through hospice. So I know the rewards are, uh, or many for you, and I'm glad that you proved me wrong uh, that uh, w- w- what it is to be a hospice nurse. Um, so we're going to go ahead and, and wrap it up, and I want to, first of all, thank you for being on my first show. It's something that I wanted to talk about, and I know that you wanted to get that word out there and and, and uh, to be able to kind of break through some of the myths and what uh, hospice is, and, and I think we hit that really well. Um, And I also want to tell everybody that, you know, in the Maryland, Pennsylvania area, because these uh, uh, hospice nurses are licensed in the state of Pennsylvania and Maryland, April 29th, 2019, starting at 6 p.m., Taste of Carol, great time. It doesn't matter how expensive the tickets are, you are giving to a worthy cause. And I go every year. I have to pay for my own ticket. I go every year. Um, So if if you are hearing this... Um, please come to the Taste of Carol. You can donate to your local hospice. All you have to do is is look them up online, call them up on the telephone, ask if they take donations um, because they are a nonprofit organization. So they are kind of uh, flying by using uh, the donations and uh, for the good of the people. So with that, we'll wrap it up. Cindy, thank you for uh, for being on here. I appreciate that. Thank you very much. Absolutely. And uh, stay tuned uh, for some future shows. Again, I haven't decided if it's going to be weekly, bi-weekly, monthly. I don't, I don't know. Maybe something will strike my mind, and I'll just go ahead and throw a show out there. So uh, thank you very much, and hope you enjoyed the show.